How is everybody today? Can I just say this? You look good. I hope your spouse told you that this morning. But you absolutely, in fact, do me a favor, just turn and look at the person next to you and just let them know, hey, you look good. At the very end, thank you. And at the very end, let me tell you what, we're going to have the staff up front. And for all of those of you who lied, you'll be able to come up front and you'll be able to pray. Nobody lied. Everybody looks good. It is so good to have you guys with us today, the second week of uh, the second week of Eat, Drink, and Be Merry. And I've just got this question. How many of you have ever had an experience in your life in which you have been really, really, really thirsty? Anybody? Really thirsty? Maybe it happened to you on a sports field at one point or after a good run or I, I don't know what the circumstances may have been, but I was trying to think this last week at the time that I was probably the most thirsty in life. And it was, the, it was the summer right before my freshman year of high school. Now, you're like, that's pretty specific. How does one remember that that was the most thirsty that they had ever been? Well, you see, what had happened is I had gone on this camping excursion, and I didn't know anything about camp life or woods or any of those types of things, and neither did the people that were with me. My Uncle Bob was in charge. That was the first problem. And so he took all of us kids on this, on this camping trip. We, we camped out one night there near Panther Tail Mountain in North Carolina. That also ought to tell you something. We camped out there that night, and we, were, we got up the next morning, and we decided that we wanted to get up early enough to go see the sunset. I mean, the sunrise. I'll get this right in just a minute. We decided we wanted to get up and go see the sunrise. And so me, myself, myself, me, myself. Just give me a second. Just just give me a second. Good morning, Severin Ryan. So myself, my Uncle Bob, and my cousin Brian, we all get up that morning, and we start up on this trail. We're going to hike all the way to the top of the mountain, and we are going to watch the beautiful sunrise. We got up there. We saw the sunrise. It was gorgeous. My Uncle Bob wanders away for just a moment or two, and we hear what sounds like this incredible commotion for just a moment, and then we heard kind of a big thud. And immediately we heard my Uncle Bob say, help! (laughs) We walked over to the cliff that he had just fallen off of. And he was disoriented. He had hit his head. He was disoriented. And you've got to understand this about my Uncle Bob. He's hit his head many times in his life. I hope he's not watching this morning. Good morning, Uncle Bob. Love you. And he had hit his head many times in his life, but he's disoriented, and me and Brian, we're, 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 we're looking over the edge, and sure enough, he figures out how to get himself back up to the top, and we were like, okay, I think this is time for us to go back down. And so we decided that we were going to head back down, but Uncle Bob, being disoriented, decided that the way that we came up was not the way that we should go down, because he knew the way. But Uncle Bob, that's the way we came. No, this is the way that we came, and so can you imagine what ensued at that point? We started to wander around this mountain, and we wandered, and we wandered, and we wandered, and we wandered all day long. 
no water, no snacks, no nothing. We wandered all day long into the evening, at which point we began to see the thunderstorms that were rising up in the clouds that were below us. And then we spent the night under a rock, about halfway through the night, about halfway through the night, my Uncle Bob and my cousin Brian start having this conversation, Dad, I love you. If we don't come down out of here, I was like, hold up. You two can stay up here. I'm coming down one way or the other. When the entire story got told, we were rescued by a rescue team the next day. The rescue team said they wouldn't even take the dogs into the places that we had gone. And I got to tell you, I was so thirsty. I was so hungry. And the truth is, it's kind of a metaphor toward life, isn't it? That we oftentimes, we start out this life and we're out there and we're going we're gonna to chase the sunrise. We're looking for that perfect emotional place, that wonderful spot where we can just watch all of life happen. And then somewhere along the way, we find ourselves lost, don't we? We find ourselves lost. We find ourselves hungry. We find ourselves thirsty. And we don't know what to do next. And that's why I'm glad you're here today. Because the church of the living God is the place to come to find out what to do next when you're lost. When you, have, when, when you don't know where to go and what to do quite yet, this is a place where you can come and you can hear some incredible stories that we find right here in Scripture of people who too have been lost and people who have found the living water. One of those stories is in John chapter 4. John chapter 4, beginning in verse 1, and I want you, if you would please, to go ahead and turn with me or follow along on the screen today. And I'm, this is kind of a little bit of a lengthy story, but I'm just going to read all the way through it because last time I checked, it doesn't really hurt to read the Bible, does it? John chapter 4, beginning in verse 1, it says, Jesus knew that the Pharisees had heard that he was baptizing and making more disciples than John Though Jesus himself didn't baptize, his disciples did. So he left Judea and he returned to Galilee. And he had to go through Samaria on the way. Eventually he came to the Samaritan village of Sychar, near the field that Jacob gave to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there. And Jesus, tired from the long walk, sat wearily beside the well about noontime. And soon a Samaritan woman came to draw water, and Jesus said to her, please give me a drink. He was alone at the time because his disciples had gone into the village to buy some food. And the woman was surprised, for Jews refuse to have anything to do with Samaritans. She said to Jesus, you are a Jew, and I'm a Samaritan woman. Why are you asking me for a drink? Jesus replied, if you only knew. The gift that God has for you and who you are speaking to, you would ask me and I would give you living water. But sir, you, you don't have a rope or a bucket, she said. And this well is very deep. Where would you get this living water? And besides, do you think that you're greater than our ancestor Jacob who gave us this well? How can you offer better water than he and his sons and his animals enjoyed? And Jesus replied, 
anyone who drinks this water, the water that comes from this well, will be thirsty again. But those who drink the water that I will give them never, will never be thirsty again. It becomes a fresh bubbling spring within them, giving them eternal life. Please, sir, the woman said, give me this water. Then I'll never be thirsty again, and I won't have to come here to get water. Go and get your husband, Jesus told her. Well, I, I don't have a husband, the woman replied. And Jesus said, mm, you're right. You don't have a husband, for you've had five husbands. And you aren't even married to the man you're living with right now. You certainly spoke the truth. Sir, the woman said, you must be a prophet. So tell me why it is that you Jews insist that Jerusalem is the only place of worship, while we Samaritans claim it is here at Mount Gerizim where our ancestors worshiped. And Jesus replied, Believe me, dear woman, the time is coming when it will no longer matter whether you worship the Father on this mountain or in Jerusalem. You Samaritans know very little about the one you worship, while we Jews, we know all about him, for salvation comes to the Jews. But the time is coming. Indeed, it is here now. When true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth, the Father is looking for those who will worship Him that way. For God is spirit. So those who worship Him must worship in spirit and in truth. Jesus offers the Samaritan woman the living water. So what is this living water? And what what can it really do inside of our lives? What is it that we need to understand about it if we are going to move out of the place of brokenness that so many of us find ourselves in? If we're going to move out of the place of despair and anxiety and stress and all of the emotional malaise that we've talked so much about last week? What are we going to do if we're going to move out of all of that, drink this living water? What is this living water? What can it do for us so that we can begin to truthfully live the life of love and joy and peace and fruits of the Spirit that we are called to? There's a few things that I think that we need to understand about this particular water. The first thing is this, is that this water, the living water, is for everyone. Did you hear that? This is not one of those messages. This is not one of those things that our world wants to listen to right now because depending on which news agency you listen to, they will tell you that the living water is not for everyone. Am I right? Depending on who you follow on social media, they will tell you that the living water is not for everyone. But I'm here to tell you today that the living water is for everyone. Jesus, it, it's real interesting. When this chapter starts, it says he had to go through Samaria on the way. Now, I'm not, I'm not questioning Scripture in terms of the fact that Jesus had to go to Samaria. But there's something that you need to understand. Jews didn't go through Samaria. They didn't do it. When they would have to travel, they would travel all the way around Samaria. They would go a farther distance in order just to not go through what they considered to be a pagan land. 
Because Samaritans in that particular culture were looked upon, racially speaking, as the lowest of the low. They were a mixed race. They didn't belong to anybody. The culture looked at them as, they, as if they were impure. The Bible says that Jesus had to go through Samaria, but he did not have to do it for geographical reasons because Jews oftentimes avoided Samaria. Jesus had to go through Samaria because he had an appointment with the woman at the well. Jesus traveled through Samaria, and the craziest part is he stops and he decides to have a conversation with this woman. He wasn't supposed to be having a conversation with a woman. In fact, if you keep on reading in the story, what you discover is then the disciples came back in verse 27, and they were shocked to find him talking to a woman. What in the world is he thinking? Has he totally lost his mind? Has Jesus once again gone out of his gourd? But none of them had the nerve to ask him, what do you want with her or why are you talking to her? Jesus, number one, wasn't supposed to be in Samaria. And when he was in Samaria, he certainly wasn't supposed to be at this well talking to a woman. And so it was downright scandalous that Jesus would find himself talking to a Samaritan woman. But do you know why he did it? Because the living water is for everyone. There is nobody that Jesus does not offer a cup to. Black or white or Asian, Native American, Latino, Pacific Islander, every man, woman, child on this planet, Jesus offers a cup. And I would say, don't forget elves at the North Pole. I think he would offer them a cup too. In fact, I'm even going to go ahead as far as to say, I think all dogs go to heaven. So I'm just going to throw that out there as a little extra. And cats. How can I leave the cat lovers out? I want you to take just a moment. And I want you to visualize. Visualize with me the most despicable annoying. You've already got them, don't you? You do. You've already got them in your head. The most despicable, annoying, downright rotten person that you have ever known. How many of you, you've got them in your head? Uh, Sean's back there raising, he's pointing his finger at me. How dare you? How many of you, you've got them in your head? Oh, don't act like, oh, look at this better than everybody else crowd trying to say you don't have them in your I said how many of you you've got them in your head raise raise your hand if you've got the the person that you don't like or that you haven't liked in the past just raise your hand admit it thank you we're we're started we're getting better at this honesty thing can I tell you something Jesus offers a cup of living water to that person living water is for everyone I got a confession that I have to make, and, and this is a little scary in a crowd like this, um, a crowd that, quite frankly, you and I, we've got some history together, and um, some of my confessions have been pretty, pretty big. I got, a con I got a confession for you today. I like a good cigar. 
I, I, I mean, I'm just saying, I do. I like a good cigar. If, if, do I have anybody that will just confess that they, too, are a, a good uh, cigar aficionado out here? Anybody? Look at that. Look at that. See, I knew there was more than one of us. We'll, we'll start a support group, and we'll ask for forgiveness later together. Here, here's the whole thing. Better than that, I like, a, I like a good cigar shop. And here's what I'm worried about, is I'm not really worried about what you guys think of me right now after having confessed that. I'm more worried the fact that my mom's watching. And I just want to remind my mom, mom, hey, listen, I've given you three beautiful grandchildren, so we're good. Uh, but here's the thing. I love a good cigar shop. In, in fact, I've got a cigar shop buddy right down here, Ben. Ben, yeah, I'm, I'm embarrassing. Here, here we go. If you, many of you remember, Ben just got baptized a couple weeks ago. We met in a cigar shop, didn't we? How many great Jesus conversations have we had in that shop? With how many guys? Uh, lots of guys. That's one of the reasons why I love a cigar shop. It's an opportunity to just sit down and like you never know what kind of conversation you're going to get in. You never know what it, who it is that you're going to experience. And I can't tell you, I've had, the, I've had the most amazing Jesus conversations just sitting there talking to other guys and gals who are there. In fact, I was down in Lynchburg, Virginia just about three or four months ago. It was during the holiday season, and I walked down into a little cigar shop that's downtown there. I walked in one Sunday afternoon, and uh, I had sat down, and there was this interesting character that walked into the place. This interesting character walks into the place, and man, he is... He, he has got, you know, he's got tattoos, sleeves, all kinds of stuff, uh, goatee, bald head, and he dressed kind of rough. You could tell he didn't care what he had put on that morning. And uh, as he was walking in, he immediately, you could tell the entire place knew this guy. And half the people either liked him and the other half didn't like him. And that was pretty obvious right from the get-go. And I thought, man, this guy's an interesting character because not only that, but he had a few ex expletives, if you know what I'm saying, that were coming out of his mouth here and there. And as he was walking in, he walks up to the counter and, and I notice he's, he, he's grabbing a cigar and this one young man who I also knew walks up over to him and he walks over to him and he just wraps his, his arms around him and he gives him this big hug and the young man was starting to tear up a little bit and he looked at this guy and he said, if it hadn't been for you this last week, I don't know if I would have made it through. And I thought, wow, this just made the guy that much more interesting. A couple of minutes later, this gentleman comes over and he sits down by me. And I was just sitting there kind of minding my own business, just kind of listening to all the conversations that were happening around. And he was having other conversations. And then finally, he turns around and he looks at me and he goes, what do you do? Well, I'm glad you asked. <laughs> I told him what I did. And he said, really? He goes, I just went to church this morning. I thought, man, I never would have known. Uh, and we got into a conversation. And can I just go ahead and tell you at this moment that this conversation that I got into with this gentleman was one of the deepest, most meaningful conversations I think I've ever had in my entire life. As he began to share with me his, his past story and how he had come to find Jesus. And as we began to have this conversation, my heart was just gripped and he led me personally down a deeper path with Jesus than I've ever known. I've ne I'll never get over this conversation that I had with this man. 
I know for a fact that day that God had ordained him to be in that place at that point at that time for me in my life. It would have been easy from everything that I saw on the outside to just go ahead and say, hey, listen, you know, obviously he doesn't have it together. The truth is he had it way more together than I could ever dream about because the living water doesn't care about how somebody looks. The living water doesn't care about where somebody's come from. The living water is offered to every single person on this planet. And it's given to us so that we can, be, so that we can drink and be changed. Which I think it's important to recognize that if the living water is for everyone, then ladies and gentlemen, the living water is for you. Some of you, that's the greatest thing that you need to hear today. Is that the living water is there for you. You are and I am the Samaritan woman. Broken, messed up, having tried to climb to the top of this life to be able to see the sunrise, we got lost along the way. But Jesus loves you. Just let that sink in for a second. The God of this universe, he loves you so much that he sent his only begotten son, Jesus, here because he loves you. If you're listening in your living room right now, hear me loud and clear, Jesus loves you. If you don't get anything else, then get that. You know, I have to. I know some of you have probably wondered, hey, listen, every time this guy talks, is he going to talk about his alcoholism? And the truth is, I have to. I have to because it's my redemption story. It's what I've got. It's what he brought me back from the brink of. And so, yes, I always have to. And yes, I probably will always have to. So from now on, if we announce that, hey, listen, Pastor John's preaching that Sunday and you don't want to hear about my alcoholism, then do me a favor. You can, you know, you, you, you know what to do. Because it's my redemption story. It's what Jesus has done in my life. The craziest part is this, is that I remember when I was sitting in rehab and, and we would walk in and we'd have these group meetings and there's like 300 of us there in the rehab and we'd have these group meetings and up on the back wall of, of the gymnasium that we would meet in were these 12 steps. There were these 12 steps and we would walk in there and we would read these things every day and every time we would have a meeting at night, we would say these 12 steps together. And as I was reading these 12 steps, I just could not, I, I couldn't help but just be mortified by steps four, five, six, and seven. I didn't really have that much of a problem with the first three steps. The first three steps are all about having a higher power and believing, you know, that, that I was powerless against alcohol. Okay, I got all that. But Meanwhile, what about these steps four, five, six, and seven? And here's what they say. Made a searching, step four, made a searching and fearless moral inventory of ourselves. Admitted to God and to ourselves and to another human being the exact nature of our wrongs, step five. Then step 
I'm sorry, step eight, made a list of all persons we had harmed and became willing to make amends for them all. Oops. That one's kind of tough, huh? Step nine, made direct amends to such people wherever possible except when to do so would injure them or others. As I was getting ready to, to as I was looking up at those, I thought, man, that, that is going to be tough to do. And, and, and I, I started to make a list. And as I started to make this list, there was one sin, there was one thing, there was one fault that just stood out to me more than any of the others. And I thought, God, I know that I have to go back and I have to have a conversation with this person, but I really, I really don't, I really don't want to have this conversation. And he's like, John, you know, you have to do it. And so in some ways I kind of put it off and I put it off. And I didn't, I put it off not because I knew. Not, not, I knew what the person's response was going to be. They were going to be fine. They were going to, they were going to love me. They had supported me to be able to come to this place already. But it hurt me the most that I had done this thing. Now, if you'd have looked at my list, you would have put a lot of other things higher on the list than this thing. But for me, it was the number one. And finally, the day came. The day came when it was time to have that conversation. I had it upstairs. I had it in my pastor's office because he was the one that I needed to have the conversation with. I sat down and I looked at our pastor and I said, Pastor, I said, I have to apologize to you. On the day that you asked me if I had been drinking again, I lied to you. And I said, I know you already know that. But I lied to you. And I said, that's the thing that has just wreaked the most havoc on my heart. That's the thing in my life that has just honestly done the most damage. It's the thing that I feel the worst about. I thought it was my worst sin. I thought it was my worst transgression. And as we were sitting there in his office, he's looking back across to me, across the table that we were meeting at. And tears started coming to his eyes. And he said, John, he said, let me tell you what I was worried about. He said, you're one of the most important partners I've ever had in ministry. He said, I was afraid I was going to lose that. He said, I was afraid that, uh, I was afraid that kids, three beautiful children were going to lose their dad. And I was afraid that a beautiful wife was going to lose her husband. John, I was afraid that this staff was going to lose his executive pastor. And at that moment, it hit me. My greatest sin had not been my lie. My greatest sin had not, I had not even made it on my list. The greatest sin that I had ever committed in my life, the greatest fault that I had was not to recognize that I was loved. I was loved by the people around me, and most importantly, I was loved by the God who created me. I had not allowed that love to fully impact my life. I had, not allowed, I had not been baptized in that love. And as a result, all of the other actions, all of the other searching, all of the other reaching for other things in order to make me happy had not been enough because I had just not realized how much I was loved. And can I tell you, sitting here today, I believe that probably the greatest sin in every single life here, the reason why you're reaching, the reason why you're trying, the reason why you're going after other things is because at the heart of it all, you don't deeply know and feel the love of God. The living water is not just for everyone. It is for you. You are loved by him.
and the most important part of this is that the living water will purify your shame. It will take all of those things away. I love this conversation that Jesus has with this Samaritan woman. I mean, it starts out all about, hey, listen, hey, grab me a drink. Hey, why are you talking to me? Hey, if you knew who I was, you'd be asking me for a drink. And then it jumps straight to the point. Jesus just never skirts the issue, does he? He looks at this woman and he says to the Samaritan woman who was looked upon as the lowest of the low in her society, and she was probably the lowest of the low among the Samaritans based off of the issues that we know that she had. The truth is, under Jewish law, I'm not exactly sure why she had not been stoned to death yet. Five husbands, and now she's got her live-in partner, and Jesus jumps right to the point, doesn't he? He doesn't skirt the issue. He comes right to it. And he looks and he says, hey, listen, this is what you've got going on in life. You want to drink this living water? I just want you to know that this living water will purify this issue. What it is that I'm here to offer you will take all of the shame of that away. The truth is there's a lot of us here today that we are living in, any, in, in, in many different levels of shame. We're living in shame for things that we've done to people. And we're living in shame from things that people have done to us. But we're living in shame. And Jesus reaches out with his cup of living water, offering it to you, saying to you, I love you. Just drink of this. This will remove your shame. This love that I have for you it is what will take it all away. I shared with you those four statements that are found in the big book of AA. And dare I say that they're found in the book of Peter also, who says, confess your faults to one another so that you can be healed. Not confess your faults to one another so that you can be saved. That's not what we're talking about at all. We're not talking about deciding to go ahead and go through your life and, 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 and list all of those things so that you can take them before God and you can take them before others and somehow at that point you will find salvation. Salvation has been covered. It's been covered by the blood of Jesus Christ. But it says confess your faults to one another so that you can be healed. That is a different type of healing. It's a psychological healing. It's a spiritual healing that takes place. When we get open and we get honest about the things for which we find ourselves shameful. When we go ahead and look and say in our lives that there, I don't want to hide anything anymore. I want my life to be able to be an open book. I want the ability to be able to stand before my fellow man, my fellow woman, and what they see is what they get. With nothing to be ashamed of. Being able to just say, this is my story, take it or leave it. Jesus jumps straight to her story. He wants her to know, I know about you. I know about you and that's okay. I'm still offering you a cup of the living water. Can I tell you this? Jesus knows about your shame. 
Your spouse may not know about your shame. Your best friend may not know about your shame. Your kids may not know about your shame, but Jesus knows about your shame. And you know what he's doing? He's offering you a cup of living water saying this will purify that. This will take all of that away. I dreaded those four things like you would not believe. The idea of sitting down and going back over my entire life, starting with my earliest memories and thinking about all of the people that maybe that I had hurt, all of the people that maybe I had, I had done something against, making a list of those things and then making a list of the people who had done things against me and, and, and just listing all of that stuff. It's like, who wants to do that to themselves? And man, I, I did my best to, to keep from it as long as I could possibly good, could until one day I'm sitting down there in the basement with my sponsor and he's like, John, we got to talk. You know, there's these other steps that you've got to go through. And I was thinking, really? And I couldn't help but get that verse from Peter out of my head. Confess your faults to one another and be healed. What my life needed was healing. And that verse was right there telling me exactly what to do. These steps were telling me exactly what to do. So I started making the list. And I started going back and I started sharing. And I got to tell you, with every single opportunity that I had to go back and to make amends, to make right what I had done against other people, with every chance to be able to do that, it hurt, it was scary, it was crazy. And then there was people that would start popping into my life and I hadn't even put them on the list because I'd forgotten about it. And then I would go ahead and, 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 and do it again. But with every step, freedom came. With every step of confession, I found more and more freedom in my life until I could stand there and look at my fellow man and my fellow woman and say, what you see is what you get. There are no more secrets. And my life was changed. And about two years ago, I was sitting in the, in, in the room with my, the best man of my wedding. His name was Jeremy. And we were down in his basement just talking. He's a pastor up in Pennsylvania. I like to go spend some time with him every once in a while and just hang out. And we were talking, and I was talking about this process that I had been through, about what it meant to, like, go into to make this list and to have these conversations with people. And I told him, I said, Jeremy, I said, I think that this is one of those things that, I think this is one of those things that the church is missing. I said, it's not one of those things I was ever taught to do growing up, but it, it, it seems that there's these groups that are meeting in the basements of churches called AA and other support groups that they figured it out, but the, the, the church, the broader church, seems to struggle with this particular area. And I said, I just think the church is missing this. And Jeremy, as a pastor of his own church, is sitting there, and he's like, Johnny, he goes, I think it's an interesting concept. And that was the end of the conversation. I never heard anything else from him about it until about three weeks ago. Jeremy calls me up. And he said, John, I'm calling you because I, I got to tell you something. I got to tell you what I did. I said, what'd you do? He goes, you remember that conversation we had in, a, in our basement just a couple of years ago? 
And you were telling me about, about these steps, about going back and, and making things right, about getting rid of your shame, about allowing God's love to be enough to cover all of your shame. John, you remember that conversation? I said, yeah, I, I remember that. He said, I did it. I said, what? He said, no, I, I did it. I said, Jeremy, I said, you became an alcoholic and you decided to go through the 12 steps. He said, no, 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 no. He said, I went in and I made my list. He goes, I started from my earliest memory. He said, and, 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 and the funniest part is Jeremy is the most squeaky clean guy I've ever met in my entire life. My list was long. It was really long. I don't know what Jeremy had on his list. Like I stole Fruit Loops from my sister. I don't know. But he said, I went back and I made this long list. And he said, I then started going back and making amends and trying to make it right. And he goes, last week, he goes, I finished the list. I said, really? And he goes, yeah. He goes, it's kind of funny the way they finished. I said, okay, well, like, what, what happened? He said, well, he said, when I, he goes, when I was working back as a kid, he goes, there was this little country store that I would work at a lot, and I would steal some quarters so I could play video games. I said, Okay. He said, how'd you pull that one off? He said, well, he goes, I walked in there this last week. He said, the same, he said, the same lady uh, still owns the store. He said, you can imagine she's a little older now. But I walked over to her and I handed her 100 bucks and I said, I'm sorry. <laughs> I said, you did what? He said, I, said, I handed her 100 bucks and I said, I'm sorry. He goes, John, he goes, I'm calling you. He goes, because I've never felt this free in my entire life. <laughs> he said, I feel amazing. He's like, there's no secrets. Because that's what living water does. It brings us to the truth about ourselves and then it purifies the shame. If you're wondering what some of that gunk is, what some of that emotional turmoil, what some of that negative energy that you're experiencing all the time is, it may be the areas in your life that you need to step up to the plate and you need to go say I'm sorry for, and you need to try to make it right with the people that are in your life, and you need to find a new freedom. And you can do this if you recognize how much he loves you. Because there's nothing that you're ever going to put on your list. There's nothing you're ever going to confess that he doesn't already love you in spite of. The living water is real. It has the power to change your entire state of being. But you have to be willing to come and drink. With every head bowed and every eye closed for just a moment. I'm going to ask our staff if they would please to come forward. I'm going to ask you to stand if you don't mind where you are. I don't know what you need to pray about today. I don't know who you need to talk to or why you need to talk with somebody, but our entire team is up here. Maybe you don't want to talk with any of them. Maybe you just want to come down here and you just want to make the front of this stage your altar before God, and you want to begin the process of cleansing by just coming to him today and saying, I want to drink. I want to drink of, of your living water. As we sing this song, however the Spirit has spoken to you, whatever the Spirit has told you to do, let me just say this. Listen to it. 
Don't ignore it. Listen to it. Come and drink. Allow your life to be changed. In Jesus' name.